Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, so glad to have you here with us. We're back in 1 Thessalonians today, and we are getting close to the end of the book. Uh, and Paul ended this letter to the Thessalonians with 20 commands that he wanted to leave with these believers at Thessalonica. Uh, and every single one of them is vital to our spiritual safety, our peace, and our joy. Of course, we won't cover all of them this morning, but the ones we will cover today mainly help us to live in peace with each other in the church family. These instructions that we'll look at today are centered on our relationships. Uh, does anybody here need help with their relationships, with any relationship? I, I think probably, probably we all do. All right, let's jump in. Verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you or give you instruction. Of course, uh, we should not fawn over church leaders or idolize them or follow them blindly, yet it says to respect them or, and to esteem them highly in love. Uh, respect and appreciation for spiritual authority is one of the greatest protections for the church and for the soul of each individual Christian. Spiritual leaders are described as those who are over you in the Lord or who watch over your soul. Uh, this is not a, a domineering or abusive leadership. Uh, Peter said, I exhort the elders among you to shepherd the flock of God, not domineering those in your charge, but being examples uh, to the flock. Uh, abusive authority is a problem in some churches, but the far more common problem is that many believers have no thought of being accountable to anyone to watch over them in the Lord. I mean, that whole, honestly, that whole concept sounds like Greek to uh, most people in our culture. It's just, it's just something we can hardly relate to in our uh, individ individualistic-centered uh, culture. Uh, so I think we have to pay uh, special attention to this uh, because it's, a, it's an admonition that uh, doesn't come easily to us in our present surroundings and present culture. It, go, it really goes counter to the world. Many believers have no thought of being accountable to anyone to watch over them in the Lord, and that results in a lot of wondering Christians. Wondering, unattached Christians doing their own thing, doing what is right in their own eyes and opting in, ending up in spiritual shipwreck. And this is not a small problem in the church today. And one of the reasons for this, I believe, is the prevalence of, of online spiritual learning. Online uh, church, online discipleship, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and we can access uh, our own teachers and follow them from a distance without a relationship with them. And so there's a tendency 
to feel no need for less well-known and perhaps less gifted pastors and teachers in the local church family. And having said that, of course, there's benefit from online learning and even online church, but that's not what we're called to in the church. We're called into a, a family relationship where we have people who are over us in the Lord. Hebrews uh, 13, 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they watch over your souls as those who must give an account to this end. Allow them to lead you with joy and not with grief, for that would be of no advantage to you. Uh, author of Hebrews very plainly says, If you don't respect or follow those over you in the Lord, you are the, you are the one who loses out. Of course, it does make their job tougher too, but, but the author points out more specifically that you are the one who loses out. It will be to your disadvantage. One of the ways that you respect those who are over you and who, who instruct you is, is responsiveness to their teaching and shepherding. Uh, listening, paying careful attention, seeking to, to learn from them and follow their example and to grow. That's grow from from their teaching. It's one of the ways that you respect them. Also, I think in other ways, you consider their counsel before making huge decisions that are tied to your spiritual well-being. I'm not talking about uh, what color of countertops you pick out at home or what car you decide to drive. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff uh, at all. I'm talking about not getting counsel or seeking their counsel before making Big decisions that are going to affect you and your spiritual well-being. And because of our strongly individualistic, independent uh, culture, which, which influences the church, and it influence, that in, has an influence on us. Make no mistake, or don't doubt that. Um, but because of that, many have no thought of seeking the counsel of those who are over them in the Lord. They, they just come and tell you what they're going to do, and that sort of closes the door to their help or their shepherding and, and their admonishment. Uh, my wife uh, <laughs> very astutely observed a long time ago, and I, I still remember when she said this, and I thought it was incredible insight, but she said that... Uh, people often want prayer about a de decision that they're going to make. A again, a decision that's going to affect their lives and their family and where they're going spiritually. Many people want prayer about a decision like that, but they are seldom willing to ask for counsel. And I think part of respecting and honoring those who are over you in the Lord is to uh, li listen to their teaching, their admonishment, their shepherding, and seeking and respecting their counsel. And not to be repetitive, but just to be clear, Paul said this respect is to be directed toward those who labor among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you or teach you or instruct you. Different translations put it a little bit differently. Uh, it's obvious from that that the New Testament church was a structure with spiritual leadership. 
uh, there were elders. We call them, usually we call them pastors, which is a word that just means shepherds. They're called elders a lot more often in the, in the New Testament. Uh, but there, there, is a, there is a structure in the church, and we are supposed to be in a church family with those who labor among you, those who watch over you, and those who teach you. And then, of course, Paul's main point here is that in, in identifying those people, he says uh, we are to respect and highly esteem or honor those watching over the flock. Uh, I don't know how many people here encounter this kind of thing, but you know, some, some today uh, in the church, some, some Christians uh, push a, an, an anti-church structure to the point that they deny uh, the role of, role of elders or any leadership in the church. And that just doesn't match up with the New Testament record. And again, it's not to be a heavy-handed leadership, but there is structure and leadership in the New Testament church. Can't deny it if you read your Bible. Paul then adds a quality to the respect he calls for in, in verse 12. Verse 13, he says, And esteem them very highly in love. So this respect that Paul calls for, is, is, it's not a cold respect, uh, but it's to be filled with the warmth of love. Uh, I'll bet you everybody here has people that you respect, but you don't love. You might, you, you might fear them, you might honor them, you might respect them, but your heart is certainly not warm toward them. You, you, you don't have affections for them. Well, that's what Paul is saying here. He's combining this respect or this esteem to do it in love or in the atmosphere of love or with a heart of love. The very essence of our relationships with each other in the church is love. We are a people who love one another. And when we walk into church, we should feel that we are with a family who loves us. I believe that with all my heart. And that's what I pray for and desire for us to be. Uh, spiritual leaders are to love the people and people are to love the spiritual leaders and we're all to just be in love with one another. So Paul adds that very important uh, qualification, esteem them very highly in love. And Paul gives one main reason for this, uh, as he goes on in verse 13, esteem them very highly in love because of their work or because of their labor. Not because they're great speakers, uh, not because they can keep people entertained with stories and jokes, uh, not because they have a dynamic personality, but because they faithfully carry out their work. They do their job. And you're to esteem them highly in love because of that. Now, I couldn't get, get in trouble by saying this, I'm not sure, but <laughs> two people, I, there's a lot of people that I highly esteem, but two people I highly esteem are Josh and my brother Paul. Both are fellow elders. And I know the inside story of their labor over years, over decades to shepherd and teach the flock of God. 
I know the tough situations they've, they've endured and presently endure, and just, just the work involved in shepherding and teaching a body of believers. Now, uh, of course, there's various kinds of work in the church. Uh, sometimes it might be uh, straightening up chairs, picking up leftover bulletins, sometimes cleaning a toilet, sometimes it's getting out the hoses and filling the baptismal tank. Uh, but likely, Paul had in mind the labor of teaching and preaching. That's, that's the work, the basic work of shepherding uh, a flock of God's people. And just as, as Paul wrote to Timothy, he said the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. So we appreciate uh, spiritual leaders for all kinds of things that they do, uh, their faithful labor in small things, big things, but especially in preaching and teaching according to Paul. That was high on his value system. All right. We do all this, why? Well, ultimately just because God says so. Ultimately, the word says so, and God, God says it, and so, so we do it. It's, it's just right. It's just the right thing to do in the Lord. But I also would add that everyone, and I've seen this, I have seen this play out again and again and again and again and again. Uh, it might be a, a sub subjective evaluation, but I have no, no doubt that it's true that those believers that respect and esteem their leaders in love reap a huge benefit of that in their own lives. And it also blesses, strengthens, and protects the church. Verse 13 goes on, and be at peace among yourselves, or live in peace with one another. Again, what are we talking about this morning? We're talking about relationships within the church and how to live in peace and joy with one another in a church family. So be at peace among yourselves. Uh, it's hard to emphasize enough how crucial peace is to our homes, to our marriages, to our relationships, and to the church. And I find it interesting how, how brief and bold Paul is here. It, I mean, this is almost cryptic. He doesn't give a lot of instruction. He just says, be at peace with one another. I mean, he lays it right at your feet to be at peace with those other believers. Figure it out. Do, do whatever it takes uh, to, to live in harmony and be at peace. Uh, Romans 12, 18, if possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. And then especially for the church, Ephesians 4, 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is a extremely important command uh, for us to be diligent. Right at, right at the, right, I think right up there with love one another is be at peace with one another. It's just crucial that we let this, that those two commands grip our heart to love one another and to be at peace with one another. And one of the qualities I deeply appreciate uh, among our church leadership team, our deacons, and many other people in the church is their diligence to live in peace. 
I mean, you don't know what a blessing that is. I mean, it is a pain to be in a church where there's friction and division and backbiting and just a bunch of stuff going on underneath the table that isn't unifying. Uh, So I deeply appreciate your efforts uh, to diligently live in peace with one another. And I think generally uh, the peace and love that we have here at Real Life Church is really special. Maybe I'm just blind. Maybe there's stuff going on I don't know about. There probably is some. I'm not saying it's perfect. But honestly, I, I, I think the peace and love we have here is awesome. And it's worth fighting for. It's worth protecting. It's worth making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Psalm 133.1 says, How good and how pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured out upon the head. Uh, so it's, it's no wonder that Paul made this one of his final or last words uh, to these believers at Thessalonica. It's just because it's such a good thing. It's such a good thing for the church when we are at peace with one another. And so Paul wanted to leave that as, as a last reminder, one, one of his last reminders for them, be at peace with one another, brothers and sisters. And we should take that to heart. All right, now I'm going to jump down to verse uh, 15, and I'm, I'm going to join that or kind of pull that together with this command to be at peace with one another. Uh, Paul goes, goes on to say, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Peace in your relationships, in any of your relationships, but peace in our relationships, especially in the church, is, is largely kept by not returning evil for evil or wrong for wrong or insult for insult. Uh, the sinful nature, nature says, that person hurt me, that person offended me, that person slighted me, so I am going to get back at them. I mean, I'm going to withdraw from them. I'm going to give them the silent treatment. I'm going to ignore them. I'm going to slander them. Or I'm going to do something else that will in some way hurt them. All the while, I'm going to pretend that I'm not doing that. (laughs) But you know what's going on. And this kind of tit-for-tat approach to relationships is not from the Holy Spirit. Uh, It's baggage that is carried into your new life from the old sinful nature. And we have to announce this. I'm sorry, renounce this. (laughs) We have to renounce this. Uh, What did Paul say? He said, all who are in Christ Jesus have crucified the the flesh with its sinful passions. This is one of those passions, this this tendency, this this desire, this emotion uh, that wants to strike back or get back or retaliate. It is something, it's a passion in your heart that you must Crucify. We crucify the sinful nature in Christ Jesus. So don't allow offenses to uh, dwell in your heart, to just like live on and on and on in your heart. Uh, you, You must master them. You must deal with them. Do not let a desire for revenge simmer in your heart. Peter said when Christ was reviled, He did not 
revile in return. Um, and he set that example for us. Peter went on to say, based on Christ's example, he said, do not return evil for evil or insult for insult, but with blessing. In other words, the idea, uh, you don't come back at evil with another evil. You don't come back at an insult with another insult. You come back at them with a blessing. And Peter goes on to say the reason for that is we were called for the very purpose of, inherited, of, of inheriting a blessing. I mean, we, we are a blessed people. We are greatly blessed, and we should feel that and know that. We walk around like, man, we're blessed. We're so blessed. Somebody does something wrong to us, uh, we're just going to pour out that blessing to you too. And that's really what Peter says to do instead of returning evil for evil. And Paul says the same thing here. Instead of returning evil for evil, always seek to do good to one another. So no matter what is going down, no matter what you're dealing with, uh, no matter what you're perceiving, either, either in reality or sometimes, sometimes it's in your imagination that people are doing to you, your duty is to always do good. It's just like you have already got your plan of action. You know, you've got, you've got people coming at you with all different kinds of things uh, every day, every week of your life, and, but you've got one plan of action. And what is it? To always do good to everyone. And actually Paul says uh, to do good to one another, uh, which I think primarily in the context means other believers, and then to all. Or he just, he's saying this is a pattern of life. You know, we, we live this way, especially in God's church, in God's family, we do this, but we do it to everyone else too. Of course, there's, there are times for honest and maybe hard conversations, uh, but if your heart is filled with God's Spirit, all you really want to do is to do good to others. You want good to come out of your heart to others. And so, again, this is, this is a, uh, something that really encompasses our whole life. It's, it, it's like one of those life statements. It, it's, uh, it, it, it's something that gives us a, a plan and a mission for life. So, if, again, if you want to know what you're supposed to do today or tomorrow for the rest of your life, always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Kind of covers everything, wouldn't you say? All right, let's uh, keep moving. Another way that we keep peace in the church family is by knowing how to help people with various kinds of faults in the church. Uh, verse 14, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle or unruly, and I'm, I'll tell you why I use that word, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Uh, so here Paul identifies three different flaws or tendencies in believers that you'll find within the church. The, the unruly, the weak, and the faint-hearted. I know the ESV says idle, which mean, meaning those who would refuse to work, and this may have been aimed at those believers because that was a problem at Thessalonica. Uh, but the word means more than that, the, the New American Standard, the King, New King James uh, Version, the Berean Study Bible, a whole bunch of other translations all translate it unruly. And I like that. I think that communicates this word very well. 
Uh, it addresses the more general nature of this kind of problem uh, in, that we find in the church. So, we're going to try to understand all three of these kinds of people, and we're going to start, of course, with the unruly. Uh, the uh, literal meaning of this word is disorderly, breaking rank with what is right. It's a military term expressing the, the character of those soldiers who would not keep their ranks. So that, that's what Paul means by uh, the, the unruly. Uh, the old commentator John Gill applies, uh, says, says this applies to all who are contentious, quarrelsome, turbulent, headstrong, and troublemakers. I don't think I can improve on that. I think that pretty well covers what it means to be unruly. Uh, uh, John Gill went on to say, we are to admonish them that such practices are not allowed in the churches of Jesus Christ. So we are to admonish them. Ad admonishing uh, can mean uh, teaching or instruction, and it is translated that way in the earlier part of this passage by some uh, versions, but admonishing also uh, or often carries the idea of, of, of exhorting or correcting or even rebuke. Uh, the unruly, in other words, need a, they need a strong, clear word. Uh, they don't get subtle messages. So Paul says, admonish him. Go, you know, go directly to them, address the problem very directly and plainly, and, and deal with it. Admonish them, give them instruction, urge them, to follow the way of God in this particular area of life that they are out of line. The faint-hearted are next. These are believers who are more inclined to timidity or fear. Faint-heartedness is, is often seen as a more acceptable weakness than being unruly or other faults. And so often... The timid or fearful are not helped. And that's a mistake because they need to be helped because God does not want us to remain timid and faint-hearted. Uh, and so he says we are to encourage them and the word means to stimulate courage in them. You, you're supposed to come alongside that brother or sister and help stiffen their backbone. You're supposed to uh, lift them up to a place of courage. And briefly, you know, this, here's three biblical ways, I, and there's probably more, no doubt, but here's three biblical ways to encourage the faint-hearted. First, simply remind them that they have a Father in Heaven who cares for them. God cares for you. Uh, in Matthew 6, Jesus uh, encourages the anxious by reminding them of how our father uh, takes care of the birds. He feeds the birds. He closes, closes the flowers. He reminds us in that passage that we are infinitely more value. And he says that God will take care of us too. And so we, we're supposed to live in that faith ourselves. But we're also to, to help those who are faint-hearted to remind them 
often of that. Second, we are to remind them that they need to fear God alone and nothing and nobody else. Uh, Jesus also tells us to fear God and not other people or anything else in life or death. And often the fearful are, are fearing something more than the Lord, and so they need to get their eyes, be, they need to be helped to get their eyes on the Lord and just, you know, fear the Lord, don't fear anything else in life. Third uh, way we can encourage, or, uh, yeah, encourage the faint-hearted is we should remind them of the Lord's command that comes with a promise. It's, it's, okay, it's not just a promise, it's a command and a promise, and it's really important that we see that this way. And I'm talking about the specific command promise that's all throughout Scripture that says, do not fear, for I am with you. All right? Some people focus only on that as a promise that they can kind of take or leave. Yeah, it is that, but no, it's a command too. It's a command. Do not fear, for I am with you. And if, if we believe that, uh, we can say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Or I think it's the NIV, that's, which, I, it's, which says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear nothing. I will fear nothing. And so our goal is to come alongside uh, that timid or fearful brother or sister and, and help bring them to the place where they will say with David, uh, no matter what, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of deep darkness or death, I will fear nothing. So we, sh- we should be ready, in other words, we should be ready with a word of faith uh, for the faint-hearted. And that's a ministry that, that a, lot of, a lot of you have here at, at Real Life. And, and that's a, lot, a ministry that a lot of you guys can have. And... You know, so, so, sometimes you're the faint-hearted, sometimes it might be me. So, you know, we, we need to come alongside one another. Uh, so, you know, let's, let's just plan on, okay, that's part of my ministry to the body of Christ. I'm going to help faint-hearted people get their courage back. All right? All right, next are the weak. Uh, we often use the term weakness as a euphemism for living in sin. I can't find any place that Paul uses weakness in that way. Uh, certainly, we should help to restore those uh, who fall into sin, obviously. But I don't think that's what Paul is, is, me, is meaning here by help the weak. Uh, Paul uses weakness uh, in a few different ways, which, which I'm going to tell you. He uses weakness to describe those who are weak in faith or weak at we might say weak in their understanding of the gospel, weak in their understanding of scripture, or weak in conscience. Uh, sometimes the weak in faith are, are the, just the most sincere Christians, uh, but they're living under so many rules uh, that they just can't seem to get their eyes on Jesus and the liberty that we have in Christ and the liberty that we're supposed to walk in in Christ. Paul also uses weakness to describe human limitations or inadequacies we might say Uh, he uses weakness to describe being in weak circumstances such as adversity or pressure or stress 
And in those situations, we, we can be weak. And Paul, and Paul even said that he himself uh, was weak in that situation. Um, I think it's the 2 Corinthians 12. Uh, and he described it as, as the persecution, sufferings, insults, difficulties, all of that. And so Paul, Paul says, what are we supposed to do with, with people who uh, are facing limitations, uh, adversity, inadequacies, all these things? Uh, we are to help them. The, the answer for, for the weak uh, is not a strong rebuke, but help. Help guide them into the truths of God's word. Help them in their adversity, their stress, uh, their inadequacies. So Paul's solution for these believers is to come alongside them and help them along. Now, I love the way this dovetails with uh, Romans 8, our message from last week. Uh, to, to, help, to help us know how to help the weak, all we need to do is just look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do for you in your weaknesses? Does he criticize you or condemn you or reject you? No. The scripture says... The Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. He comes alongside you to help you. And that's a very precious thing. And we need to just, we need to copy that. Uh, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. And so we're to come alongside and help people in their weaknesses. Now, one of the, the points uh, that I think Paul is just clearly trying to make here is, you know, he's leaving these final instructions with these believers, just this last words, of, hey, this is what I really want you guys to remember. I, I think one of the points, and, and he, he obviously he's seeking for them to live together in peace. As, as Paul's away from them now, he wants this church family to know how to relate to their leaders, to those who are over them, respect them, esteem them highly in love. He wants them to, to know how to be at peace with one another, to live in unity as, as, as a church. And one of the ways that he, he's, he's helping us to do that is just, is just telling us that there's different people at different places that need a different approach in the church family. And that's something, that's a key lesson that will really help us get along. Not, not everybody is just like you. We're, we're, there's, there's just a diversity. And again, there's probably more, but Paul points out the unruly, the weak, the faint-hearted. And Paul's point is that different people need to be approached differently. Uh, so to use a strong rebuke when people need help or encouragement just is not the way of wisdom in, in dealing with brothers and sisters in the body. Or to just give kind of a gentle encouragement to an unruly or disobedient person just may not be direct enough or strong enough for them to get the help they need. You know, in another place, Paul said the grace of God had been given to him to be a wise master builder. I love, I love that phrase. Paul said that God had given him grace or the, the, the ability through grace or through the Holy Spirit to be a wise uh, master builder. 
And a part of being a wise master builder in people's lives is understanding the differences in people and using the right approach uh, with each individual person. So I would just leave this with you too. I know a, a lot of you guys really want God to use your life, as I do. And if you really want to be used by God and other people, uh, I would pray for this grace to be a wise master builder, to know how to approach different people and to bring just the right word, uh, the right help, the right encouragement, or even the right rebuke at times. All right, we got that? Paul concludes this uh, with, with, a, with just a very perfect comment after telling us you know, how to approach these different people in the body. He says, and be patient with everyone. Uh, again, one of my great old favorite commentators, Charles Ellicott, said, church officers are not to be rendered impatient by the defects, errors, weaknesses, stupidity, or unbelief of anyone. Uh, I don't think you find that in a modern, any modern commentary. But it, what, what it's so direct, it just is saying that we shouldn't be impatient with believers uh, kind of wherever they're at. We, uh, and, and, it, and it's easy to develop an impatient spirit with people, with others. Um, but Paul, Paul reminds us to be patient with everyone. So don't let other people's shortcomings, uh, you know, make you quick or short with them or quick to write them off or to regard them with condescension, condescension or impatience. Uh, we all, I mean, we, the point is that we all want to grow together. We want to all want to grow up in Christ, all right? It's not like we're, it's not like we're just glad that everybody's kind of wallowing in their faults. That, that's not what I'm talking about. But we're patient with people as we admonish, as we teach, as we help, as we encourage. All this is done with a spirit of, of patience. So be patient with all, not just people you find it easy to be around. Um, th this is what it takes to be a church family. I mean, if you were to withdraw... Uh, from other people, if you are to uh, associate only with people who kind of are at what you think is your spiritual level or who think just like you, uh, then, you know, you might get by with less patience, but we, we need patience to be the body of Christ. And we are. We are the body of Christ. We're, we're a diverse people uh, gathered together in one body, and that's, that's what the church is. Now, we can, I mean, you can be a, you can set up a, some sort of club that plant, you know, that loves flowers or whatever, and it, only people who like to plant flowers are in that club. That's not the church. We are everybody who loves Jesus or who belongs to the body of Christ, no matter where we're at. The church is all who belong to Christ, and the reality is that we're not all alike. And um, again, the goal is to come to a unified understanding of the faith and so forth, but uh, we're just in different places in our faith and understanding. Immaturity, and we have various weaknesses, so Paul 
leaves this command to be patient with, with all. And of course, this applies to the church family, um, but, it, but it, it also does apply to all people. I think it's really important for us as Christians to show patience out in the world in dealing with customers, clients, waiters, waitresses, checkout people, in all our business dealings, with our families, uh, with our relatives, our extended families, uh, whether they're believers or not. Uh, doesn't mean we condone what everybody thinks or does, but, but we are to demonstrate this, this Holy Spirit quality of patience, um, long-suffering uh, with all people. It is part of our, an important part of our witness for Jesus. And how will people in the world know that we belong to Christ if, if we're not patient that with them? I mean, that pretty much will short-circuit our, our credibility with them. So, let's stand. And we're going to wrap this up. Uh, this is my prayer, and I hope it is yours, yours too. May the Holy Spirit instill uh, these qualities that we've talked about this morning in our lives. And may we seek to uh, obey them from the heart and with all of our heart. And as we do that, certainly the Holy Spirit will fill us and give us the capacity to do these things in greater measure. All right, let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for your word. We love your word. God, it is so good, so practical, so helpful.